Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. What is invisible labour and why should businesses care about it? Meet my guest today, Pins Brown, who has recently been doing some research on this very topic. Pins is the Head of Responsible Procurement at Natura & Co. Her team stretches from Manila to Mexico City as part of the Sustainable Operations Department. She works on brands such as Avon, Natura Cosmeticus, The Body Shop and Aesop. Her background includes time working within the agricultural sectors, as well as oil and gas. She's worked for labels such as ASOS and Oxfam, while serving as advisory panels for the UK Prison Labour and for the Better Cotton Initiative. With experience in business, large and small, NGOs, trade unions and international organisations, Pin says my working life has involved suits and muddy boots and has focused on improving labour conditions in supply chains, especially for the least powerful. So, Pins, welcome. Hello, Katie. So, Pins, you're the Head of Responsible Procurement at Natura & Co. What does this entail? So, I'm Responsible Procurement at the group which owns the body shop, which is called Natura & Co. owns the body shop Avon, Natura Cosmeticos and Aesop. And what that role means is that I lead group strategy on decent work and supply environmental practice in our supply chains. And that could be anything from wages for our cleaners who are on uh, contracts, you know, not body shop employees, to what does greener business practice in our supply chain look like. And I also head up the Body Shops Bespoke Fair Trade Programme, which has 19 different fair trade partners that's been going for over 30 years. And on that piece, I mean, clearly we are speaking in the summer of 2021, the COVID pandemic kind of creeps on. on. The shock from COVID-19, has that changed the way you're working? I think it's focused the mind. I think as a team of people who are trying to make our procurement practice more sustainable and responsible across all sorts of areas, from how we buy and sell down through our raw materials as well, it just sharpens the mind about livelihoods and brings it really front of mind, whether that's our own employees, you know, people being on furlough, et cetera, or whether it's people, for example, in our fair trade supply chains, who, if they don't work, don't eat. And we were always trying to address those issues globally, but it really does just remind us of the inequalities and the unfairness and the opportunity through trade and employment to actually do something about it. And of course, it highlights absolutely the caring responsibilities, given that it's a health pandemic. It shows both, it shows up both the difference between those who have an employment relationship and, and can get both ongoing regular work and sometimes healthcare as part of what goes with their work, whether that's a clinic on, on site or whether that's access to, to healthcare in countries which don't have a lot of it. And it shows up, of course, caring responsibilities within families and communities, which typically the world over still fall predominantly on women. And I think we, we all know from personal experience over the last year what that means in terms of juggling our neighbours, our families, people who are ill, dropping food on doorsteps. And for us, that's about what goes on in the supply chain too. 
and it's things like people losing their work. So supply chain disruption, the cost of raw materials might be pushing people to buy things cheaper than they used to because raw material price rises. So it's all sorts of things that, yes, it does change the urgency with which we want to address those issues. And in terms of invisible work, typically done by women and unpaid work, we were working on, on the Work and Opportunities for Women project since 2018. So it was an issue that we, we've identified long even before that, but it, it certainly sharpened the focus. Picking up on that last piece about the Work and Opportunities for Women, could you tell us a bit more about that programme? And perhaps I know that you've recently released some research on it and sort of progress report and a little bit more on the kind of what we mean by invisible labour and why is it important? I mean, why is it important for business to kind of care about what people are doing in their domestic lives? I think it's, it's looking at the structural inequalities that surround all of us. And I think what we've seen in the Western conversation in the last couple of years about things like the Me Too movement, looking at gender inequality and sexual harassment at Black Lives Matter, looking at racial inequality, the typically gendered division of labour is another area that is, is just a, a massive, unequal piece that pervades the structure of people's lives. And if employers think that that doesn't affect how their staff are working, I just think it's that, you know, the invisibility is exactly that. There are these things that are in the air we breathe, which are the problems around us, and somehow we don't name them and start dealing with them. So from a business perspective for the body shop, to be honest, it's something that we've looked at. We were founded by a woman who had two children, who worked with her husband, who brought her kids to work, who set up a creche, one of the key, the largest then body shop site, because it was exactly that, recognising that typically women were juggling those different priorities of unpaid work and paid work and the interaction between the two. So it's something which has been part of our thinking. And we started to look at it in supply chains already, in in particular in our sesame seed oil supply chain in Nicaragua. And in the report, which has just come out, we we look at that. And what does it mean for us as a business? It means recognising that for our employees and understanding what's the impact on us. So as I say, calling it out and really recognising the issue, understanding that it's a barrier to good business practice. Because if you don't take account of employees' actual situations, and that can be basic things like people are late for work or they they can't work that day because one of their kids is ill to what we see in the supply chain context of we might have family members helping out on what looks like women's labor and perhaps the deal was that it, we th- we thought it was women in our supply chains and then understanding that if you've got them doing all sorts of other tasks so if that's sort of agriculture it could be bringing along water to make sure that daily workers have got enough to drink. But that bit of bringing along the food at lunchtime or the water in the morning or washing the uniforms or the PPE afterwards is falling to women. So it's part of the activity which is directly productive. And for us as a business, it's about recognising that and ensuring that we treat the situation fairly and focus on how it can be, as I said, A, a barrier and B, affect people's livelihoods. Like if you're not getting paid for that time, then it's not a fair transaction. And you mentioned there about um, this report looking at kind of assessing and, and trying to sort of address it, address this problem, or not problem, but the kind of the nature of the invisible labour and the old adage of, you know, what, measure, what gets measured gets managed. Yep. How do you see this work, this report, helping to potentially build that better from COVID or increase people's resilience through your 
value chains? What, what do you see that kind of moving forward? I'm not fond of the narrative around build back better or resilience, to be honest. I believe that trade is a big opportunity to share benefits of exchanging things globally, but it also is a big risk, if you like, of people exchanging things unfairly. As I say, their time or or their produce, their services. And I think we have to recognise, as lots of people increasingly do, that there are fundamental flaws in the way trade works internationally, whether that's about extractive from a climate perspective or people's labour or women's bodies by ill health through, through trying to juggle all of these areas. So I think resilience is almost a cover-up for, for those fundamental issues and we should be focusing on how to make all of that trade work for everybody that's in it. And to imply that we're sort of building back better, to me, is is an evolutionary approach rather than the revolution that we need in the face of climate change and global inequality. Pin, from your vantage point, you're obviously, I mean, A, you've got a role that's just looking at so many different places. What are the trends that you're seeing that you'd like to share with others? I think just to, number one is to, to recognise the issue. I mean, have a look at the guide. We, we try to make the guide practical so that a person sitting in a business who says, hang on, I don't really even understand what they're talking about. You know, what is this invisible labour? So first of all, just get your mind around it. Start thinking about the daily experience of what you know, the lived experience of people you meet in supply chains. Then, of course, the COVID impact on top of that and say, what does this mean for me if I'm sourcing raw materials or from a manufacturer or from a wholesaler? You know, what, what does it even mean? Recognise that, as I say, typically women's labour is part of that supply chain. So number one is just get your mind around it, understand what the issues are. The second part is look at your own role in it and how, it, as I said, it's a barrier for business practice. It's not just the right thing to do. It's about the business reasons to ensure that you're behaving fairly as you would want to behave and that you're costing things properly. And that you're, in that sense, you're generating security of supply by making sure that people are able to earn from what they are producing. Because, of course, in the end, everybody votes with their feet if they have choices. So if they've got enough agency to do that and they've got other choices, but not everyone does. So I think it's important as well for just understanding those issues. So understand, recognise that it's, it's part of good business practice and then take action. And the guide will show you how to do that, to just assess what's going on in your supply chains. And in the body shop, we've shared how we've been using an assessment framework in our community fair trade programme that my colleague Lee Mann and I worked on as part of this project and which we are then building into the way we assess all of our community fair trade supply chain so that we can just get better on identifying where that invisible labour is and what we need to do about it. So you can you can pilot it, see if you can find out from speaking to women, but also other other people, because other people's invisible labour is involved too. Sometimes it can be boys, it's it's all sorts of people. And take that action. That can be things like looking at your piece rates, making sure that is it tallying what you think you're getting with the time that you think people are putting in? And if it doesn't quite add up, then maybe there is invisible labour there. As I mentioned, think about things like raw materials manufacturing. If under COVID, you've got people having to go through security measures at the beginning and safety measures, I mean, sorry, a moment of French, where you're having to do health and additional health and safety checks and someone's got to turn up to work half an hour earlier, and therefore they've got to pay for an additional hour of childcare, which is affecting their wages. You know, Think about those things and what that means for people and what action you can take. 
And I will put the link to that guide into the words that sit alongside the podcast so that everybody can get hold of it too. Thank you very much for sharing those pins. My last question to you today, I was really going to ask you about how would you personally kind of do that kind of rebuild better in the resilience piece, taking on the chin that you (laughs) reject those terms. You also talked about kind of creating fundamental changes, revolutions. In the work that you're doing, in your career, in your experience, what would be your advice to others who are potentially in a position where they would quite like to help their business create more lasting social impact um, and not quite sure how to do it? I think just remember to challenge. Challenge the prevailing ways of working, ways of thinking and the narratives. And I think listen to young people. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 47. I'm not young anymore. I'm very definitely middle-aged. And listening to colleagues who are younger, my kids, other people, getting a proper diversity of views and then having the guts to look at what business decisions are going in the right direction or the wrong direction, to remember, particularly women, as we said, in, in, in what the impact of COVID has been on women. And as I say, there were already structural problems in supply chains that differently impacted women. So bring that to the front of your mind challenge the ways that business works and obviously look for the opportunities like we said like where can business properly be a force for good which is what we try to do at the body shop what the b corp movement is trying to do and it sounds trite but there are absolutely opportunities in everyday decisions about how we source things where do we source them from what business models do we support so obviously supporting a fair trade model we're trying to ensure the right practices look at things like your payment terms you know the basic terms of trade Look at the regularity of employment that you know is offered. Challenge outsourcing models where those are problematic for people's working conditions. So there's so much that we can do. And I think we've just got to have the guts to speak truth to power about what the impacts are, to identify the positive opportunities and how this makes things better for everybody and how it, as I said, can be a barrier to good business practice to not think holistically about the situation of men and women at work. Well, on that powerful note, Pins Browns, thank you very much for sharing your insight, your wisdom um, and your knowledge with us today. Pins, thank you. Thank you. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 